Do you have something to say first before I say? Oh, okay. Well, good morning, church. Thankful this mic is working as I was trying to figure out how to put it on. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've got this wrong, but uh, sounds like it's working. So I'd like to just say a um, thank you for your support to uh, um, our family, to Nicole and I, and to the ministries that we serve in. Thank you for um, just continuing to uh, paddle underneath the water and be the um, just a support for ministry happening here in Elgin. Thankful for it in my own life and um, glad to be flying in formation really with uh, this church here in, in Elgin and continuing to see God's prospering of it. Um, we continue to serve in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, for those of you that do not know um, us, and I serve in a couple of different areas. One is for a ministry called Pro-Life Ministries of Duluth. So we stand in Sidewalk Council um, in front of our uh, so-called health clinic where um, abortions happen in Duluth. And I'm thankful for those that are part of this church that receive texts and um, uh, prayer reminders as we're out there on the streets. And if you'd like to get in that loop, just a quick text to pray and re- remember, um, usually on Thursday and Friday mornings when we're out there um, on the front line of the battlefield for preborn sons and daughters. And uh, again, if you'd like to join in with that, just let me know before we, we leave today. Um, looking at Psalm 22 today, and I'd like you to turn there in your uh, Bibles with me today, um, and I will read that here before I dive in and um, speak from it. But uh, I'd like to uh, present before you just a, uh, uh, a reason to hope again afresh this morning as we consider uh, the King and the preborn. Psalm 22, David has written this psalm, probably in the midst, uh, perhaps in the midst of a cave when he's running for his life, um, <clears throat> when he was in danger from perhaps even some of his own family members. He writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and they were rescued, and you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you made me trust you at my mother's breast. In you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me. They like ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water and all my bones out of joint. My heart is like wax and is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count count all my bones. 
They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and return and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For, king, the, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation, and they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Father, I pray that you would speak to us and through us and in spite of us this morning, that your word would be as a living knife that would cut out what is not necessary, that your word would be as living water that would wash and rinse what remains, that your spirit would be as a balm to set and seal and heal your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our text this morning, we see King David bearing up under the weight of severe injustice and enduring horrible circumstances. And it's not really a great start to the Advent season here at Elgin First Baptist this morning, so forgive me there, but hang with me here because I think in the end we'll see how this ties to um, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming to planet Earth, as we sang about just a few minutes ago. As we look and listen to David, we see King Jesus' suffering clearly foreshadowed. Did you hear that as I read some of those verses, and did you, did you see the pictures of the cross and Jesus Christ? And as we... Um, watch both of these kings, King David and his son, the great King of Kings, Jesus Christ, in the midst of their suffering, as David prefigures the King Jesus, we see David rescued from death, and we see Jesus rescued through death. And we see them both, in a sense, identifying with the preborn that are scheduled for death. In the coming weeks, daily, there are thousands of children throughout our land that are being destroyed. And my aim today 
is to help us see at least four shared experiences that King David and Jesus, the King of King, um, have with the preborn that are scheduled for death. And my aim, again, is to help us experience hope rising in the midst of this horror of injustice. Notice that David is singing. Let's not forget, this is a psalm after all. David is singing about the mind-numbing pain and the spiritual abuse that he is enduring. Jesus sings this song over us today. They are singing. Proverbs 29.6 says, An evil man is ensnared by his sin, but a righteous man can sing and be glad. I'm so glad that when we get back here to Elgin and it's time for singing, that I can listen and I can look around and I can see not just the people up here on the, the, in the front singing, but I can see and hear the congregation singing. Churches are not like that. Not all churches are like that. It makes a difference. And I, I think it's because of this verse, Proverbs 29, that a righteous one can sing and be glad. But an evil man is weighed down. By his sing. I heard a worship leader say just recently as he introduced a song about God's mercy, you know, it's really easy to sing about grace, you know, because grace, God giving us what we do not deserve, that's, that's really singable. But it's tougher to sing about mercy because mercy is recognizing we are sinners and deserving of wrath, and yet God has not given us that. And I thought to myself, try singing about horror sometime. Try singing about the, the affliction that we endure as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ, our Savior. God's grace is here with us to heal and to save and, and to, to, to cleanse today. I want us to consider three questions here um, in getting to my aim this morning. The first question is, how does King David foreshadow Christ's crucifixion here in this psalm? Second question is, how do these two kings relate to the ten preborn people that died last week in Duluth? And thirdly, how does this cause the experience of hope rising up among this great horror of injustice? I see four ways, again, that David's suffering foreshadows Christ's suffering. I'll list them here quickly and then unpack them as we go. First, I see David and Christ and the preborn people are persecuted but not abandoned or not forsaken. Secondly, David and Christ and the preborn are caught in a trap in which the only way out is into the very hands of those who are seeking to kill them. Thirdly, they are helpless but not hopeless. And finally, they are aware of a fuller life of praising God, the potential of it, but they are kept from it in the present. First, I see King David and Jesus and preborn people sharing this common experience of being persecuted but not forsaken. Did you hear that in verses 1 through 8? My God, David is singing, my God, praying, my God. What have you done? Why have you forsaken me? 
David had known the sweetness of this personal relationship with the God that he had come to know. In the quietness of the fields where he shepherded, he had known deep communion with God. He had seen God rise to his help. He had seen God come near and be a shepherd to him. He knew that deep sweetness uh, and, and communion with God. He also had learned of God's power, God's love, as he had gone by himself following God out onto the battlefield to slay the giant Goliath, to exalt God's strength on the battlefield for his glory. And then he had rested in God's comfort as he had cherished and lost the intimate friendships along the way throughout his life, both of his brother-in-law, Jonathan, whom had a soul connection that was so sweet. Friendship was there, was given by God, and then was taken away, along with other family members that David had known. And in Psalm or in, in 2 Samuel 16 through 19, we see the unfolding, gut-wrenching drama unfold as David's own son, Absalom, would rise up and seek to act hatefully towards his father and wickedly in the sight of God. And you may remember at the horrific end of Absalom's life, David groans bitterly, Oh, my son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son. This has just been one of the times that David felt forsaken by God. David cried by day. He cried at night. His prayers were unheard. We see those um, experiences unfolding here in verses 2. and He wrestles with this. We've got we've to hear him wrestling. I'm crying out here, God. Where are you? Where are you? And then in verses 3 through 5, it seems as David has one of those Psalm 73 encounters where he is in the dark and struggling with that which is going around, around him. And, and then he enters into the sanctuary of the living God and he sees things from a different perspective. Don't you just hear the, the difference of, of how David's words and attitudes and focus changes here in verses 3 and 5? Yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. David, in the midst of the horror, in the midst of the, the struggle that he's enduring, looks to God, sees him as holy, sees him as set apart, sees him as in control and sovereign over all things. In you our fathers trusted, and they were not put to shame. They cried to you, and you rescued them. David could think back and recount the times where God had been faithful to Israel and faithful to the men women, the people of God throughout history. And he rejoiced in that, and yet he's kind of stuck with this tension of, but I'm, I'm crying out, Lord, and I'm, I'm a righteous man, and you're not listening, you're not hearing my prayers. It's to the point where he calls himself a worm. He listens to the lie and the perspective of the word, verse 6, I, but I'm a worm and I am not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people and all who seek me mock me and they make mouths at me and they wag their heads. 
they mock. Interesting that David would use this word worm as an imagery of, of himself. Not much more than a clump of cells, right? Worm does have some uh, you know, unique uh, parts that would distinguish it. But uh, the argument that we hear often on the street is, and, and it hasn't happened for, for quite some time now because the intrauterine photography has so busted out this lie of, of, of a, a person within the womb being simply a, a clump of, of cells. But we hear that from time to time. And here David is in essence recognizing, I have absolutely no worth. I'm low and how, how, what is the lowest, smallest, most insignificant, insignificant thing that I could think of to identify myself with? And here he calls upon this imagery of a worm. David feels certainly diverted, deserted and forsaken by God. But was Christ's own appearance not also marred beyond the human semblance. Not Isaiah remind us that Christ's own appearance was marred yet even beyond human semblance in his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus in Christ became a curse. He became a worm for us. Isaiah would prophesy just a few chapters later a dagger against the lie of God's people being forsaken. He said in Isaiah 54, 7, for a brief moment, for a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Though David felt forsaken, we see in verses 24 and 26, if you want to scan towards the end of this psalm, they reveal there, and David reveals that God was faithful to him, even in these low moments of his life. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear. David, again afresh, had the perspective that God was with him and that he was God's man to worship him. Oh, how David and Christ sing with confidence and great compassion. I am pressed, but not crushed. I am persecuted, but I am not forsaken. On the song would go, praising and glorifying God for his faithfulness. God is able to rescue all those who trust in him. Born and preborn, they will all testify before God of his great salvation. They will sing along, though I was crushed, I was not forsaken. The next common experience that I see King David and King Jesus and the preborn having is that they are caught in a trap in which the only way out is into the very hands that are seeking to destroy them. In verses 12 and 13, verses 16, 20, and 21, we, cl we catch glimpses 
of David's enemies surrounding and trapping him. We see the bulls of Bashan. We, we hear the lions roaring and open their mouths, ready to, ready to devour David. He, he ran from his position and home to hide in the wilderness when King Saul was rising up and, and seeking to destroy and, and uh, just in angry jealousy was going after David to kill him. Well, how many times was it that he, he slung his sword at him and missed? David ran. He left the comfort of his home and the position and ran from his king. The one that should have been his protector from the one that God had raised up to destroy the enemies of Israel. And now David is running from his father-in-law and king. He went into places where he was trapped. He went into caves. He went into the city of, of, uh, of, um, of Gath. You remember where Goliath was from that he had slain earlier? He was from Gath. So he, he went right into the sword, into Achish's kingdom, and pretended to be insane in order to preserve his life. Here he was, trapped again in the very city where he was despised. Then he would run to caves, and he would run into places, and oftentimes he was trapped, and yet God was with him to rescue him from those traps. Dogs encompass and encircle David and Christ to pierce their hands and feet, and to rip their skin so far gone that our Savior could count all of his bones. You see that prefiguring of Christ in verse 17? I can count all of my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. Verse 18 describes again the cruel shame of seeing the enemy's plunder for the last few belongings that David and Christ had. See there, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. You know what's significant about the word garment here in verse 18? So thankful for our pastor um, in our, our home church now. We, we're preaching through, he's preaching through the book of Second, First, and I think he's going into Second Samuel as well. And uh, so we've, we've just been... Um, uh, walking through a lot of these texts where David is, is struggling. But he, he, before that, he, he was in the book of John. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, it, um, it, John is picturing the cross happening before his eyes. And as John records the events of Christ being crucified and all the events that are happening around there, he records that the soldiers were gambling at the foot of the cross for the last few things. That was part of the gig. They they did the dirty deed, and then they, they got some of the stuff. That was, that was part of the reward. And it, it, John records that when the soldiers came to the last robe, they, they recognized a high value there. And so rather than ripping it up and everybody getting a, a part, they, they gambled for it because it was so worthy to be kept together. It was, it was a high value. And uh, the... the the word that John uses to describe that robe is the same word that is used by Moses in Exodus 28 when God commanded how the, the priestly garments were to be made. And John, in his record, says that the garment that he, he saw there at the foot of the cross being gambled for was seamless. 
It was woven from top to bottom. And that description is the same description that was given by Moses uh, in, in the book of Exodus as God communicated. This is how the, the, the robe, the katon for the high priest must be made. So in here we see the significance of, of Jesus Christ, the prefiguring um, that David was doing. Christ, the high priest, humbled himself and became obedient to death. Offering himself freely into the very hands of sinful men who caused the great suffering through which Christ learned obedience. Christ learned obedience through suffering. So when the children who have been killed in the womb stand before the throne of God above, they will not outscar the risen Savior. They will see and worship Christ who allowed himself to be entrapped and destroyed and uh, destroyed by the lesser hands of men who poured out their hatred and anger and fear upon the one who was mighty to save and humble to love. Through Christ's suffering, the great deliverance that David boasts of in verse 20 and 21 is accomplished. You see that there? Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. That that victory, that deliverance was made through Christ's suffering. So again, will the boast of the preborn when they stand before God and in His glory, they will say, yes, though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor. Though He was clothed in royalty and honor and holiness, for our sake He provided a righteousness for those who were yet unborn. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And this, by His stripes, we are healed. Surely Jesus surrendered Himself into the hands of sinful men and dealt with the, the power of the trap of the enemy for us, for the preborn. A third shared experience I see here, David and Christ and the preborn have, is they, they were helpless, but not hopeless. Notice the words of the enemies in verse 8 here, now back into Psalm 22. How confident they were of David's destruction. How unbelieving they are of God's existence and unbelieving of God's presence and power to help. You see that verse 8 and following? Oh, how they would say, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, for He delights in Him. Yet, You are He who took me from the womb. You made me trust You at my mother's breaths. On You as I, I was cast from my mother's womb, and You have been my God. David recognized that it was God, who was his help, in spite of the words and the um, statements of those who were going around him. Even King Saul, who was cowering under Goliath's blasphemy, thought David was helpless and he offered him his, his uh, armor. That was not a fit for David. And so as David is turning to go out onto the battlefield in absolute unbelief, 
King Saul offers these words. Play the video in your head as David, ruddy boy, standing before Saul, going off to fight the battle. Saul says, go, and the Lord be with you. Let the Lord deliver him. I'm going to stay back here. I'm going to clutch my spear, and I'm going to send somebody else out onto the battlefield. And Oh, may the Lord, may, may his relationship with the Lord do something for him. About all that Saul, King Saul could say. And did not David go helpless then, but not hopeless, out onto the battlefield with God's presence? And God was pleased with David's faith, with his hope, and he delivered him from the hand of the enemy. The faithless children of Saul despised the faithful son of David with the same words in Matthew 27, verses 21 through 43. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. We will, we will believe him then. He trusts in God, let him deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. These were mocking words. These were not words of faith. So the escorts and the doctors and nurses who cheer on the killing of helpless children say, God is unable and unwilling to save these children. On what wrath is ready to be poured upon them if they resolve? Oh, what wrath is ready to be poured out upon them if they resolve to go on in that sort of unbelief, that sort of resolve to, to not trust, to not hope in the one who is there to help and to save through faith. Contrast this helpless and hopeless mindset of the unbelieving with David's faith, now in verses 9 through 11. Yet you are the one who took me from my mother's womb. David is saying, God, I, I trusted you. I, I, I've been yours since I was born and even before. David infers here that there's a trust happening even within his life from birth. What is inferred here in verses 9 and 10 is made much more clear in Psalm 71 where it says, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. This word that is used here, you are um, a before my birth, I leaned upon you, is a word that implies a trusting, implies a, a relationship of, of protection and, and, and trust. David is at least opening the door that perhaps preborn people are able to engage in a saving faith. This is recognized is things that I, I process on a on a whole different level than, than most people, but I, I want us to stop and think about this theologically, think about this biblically. 
God able to save to the utmost? Is He able to save the big and the small? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. David is helpless. Christ was helpless, but not hopeless. God's wrath is poured out upon Christ. But Jesus says, oh, you, in you, oh God, I put my trust into your hands. I commit my spirit. I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nothing else to trust in, Father. Come to my rescue. You, oh Lord. One final way that I, th- I see the King of Kings identifying with the preborn Facing death is an awareness of a fuller life of praising God, yet being kept from it in the present tense, or being kept from it right now and and in the midst of our life and in the midst of our horror. Take a look at those final verses uh, from this Psalm 27 through 31. All of the ends of the earth, or maybe backing up even there a little bit, uh, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform to those, or before those who fear you. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Imagine this going on in in David's mind as he's under the darkness of horror. In the mind and spirit of Christ as he's hanging on the cross. All of the nations of the earth shall remember They'll turn to the Lord, and the families and the nations shall worship before you. The kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before him and bow. Um, all, who will go down, all who will go down to the dust, even those who could not keep themselves alive. Do you, can you see this picture of the worldwide? All nations bowing before the king of kings. The Lord of Lords, the God of glory, David could see it. Jesus could see it. They were so aware of the coming day when heaven comes down to earth and where God rules over all completely. And yet they were kept from that. They were restrained from just jumping right into that as a present tense experience. All nations will seek and proclaim the righteousness of God. Because the righteous one, Jesus, became sin and endured the wrath of God so that the people of God, even those who are yet unborn, might become the righteousness of God. Certainly, the last um, experience that Christ had on earth and the last words that he spoke before his death sustain or prove the reality that Jesus knew that there was a fuller, more abundant life of praise for the Father. Let me just recount a couple of them, the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross, and hear faith, hear hope welling up within. Hear a Recognition that though I am trapped now, I am going to be released from this trap. Here, uh, even though I'm kept from experiencing the fullness and the presence of God, 
I see it by faith. Now, Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus looks to his mother and the best friend that God ordained to come to the cross and witness the final moments of his life. And he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Oh, Jesus knew of a greater, more full life of glory. But for a moment, is kept from it. What glory there is to come. I think the, the, uh, the preborn mysteriously long for a great and more abundant life as well. They have been fashioned to receive nourishment. They've been fashioned to grow and yearn for the more abundant life to come. And, and uh, they grow agitated as the instruments of assault begin to invade the womb and seek, they seek to escape from the jagged clamps of death. But most of the preborn die and they go to God and they find their rescue and righteousness and the fuller life of praise that God prepared for them in His presence. Again, it has been my aim to cause us to see that God is able to cause hope to rise out of the dark injustices from the cross of Jesus Christ to abortion to whatever it is that we face this morning, and that's bringing a cloud over our own head. The injustices, brokennesses, the horrible circumstances that we have to endure great pain that our bodies suffer. In each one of these, I, I've prayed the presence of God would manifest today and be mighty to save and heal and to encourage us to wait in faith for this greater day of praise that is yet to come. I recognize that the darkness of the cross, the darkness of abortion may be clouding over some hearts that are here this morning. So I remind you that God, being rich in mercy, because of the love, the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions and sin, He made us alive together with Christ. There is no sin there is no wrong that God is not able to right. Hear the fountain of mercy rushing to you this morning. Perhaps you're facing a whole other injustice, a whole other persecution of some way. I'd love to share some of the stories that we we uh, we ha- we see happening out in the, in the sidewalk when we we sidewalk council. It is it is becoming more and more clear um, that we are, we are not of this world. And there is a kingdom operating here on this planet that it is not under the authority of God. The aggressiveness and the uh, strategies of the enemies are no longer hidden and muted. They are getting sharper and sharper as the days go by. But... Um, 
again, I remind you today, the power of God, the presence of Christ is available to heal, to save, to surgically remove, to rinse, and to wash, and to clean, and to forgive, to establish a new work of God's grace within our lives. Several years ago, my, again, my pastor preached the cross from John 19, and he wove the gospel account of John 19 with Psalm 22 here, this song that's before us and that we've considered today. And it was there where the, I heard the words, in the midst of the horror, hope rises from God's presence to glorify God. And that phrase struck the broken and, and uh, wobbly strings of my heart, and uh, out of them a, uh, a song came. I'd like to uh, close with that song today. It's called The Hope and the Horror of the Cross. And again, it uh, will hopefully provide a, uh, a tune that your heart can sing as well, knowing that out of darkness, out of injustice, out of horror, even horror, hope rises. Let me sing that for you now, and then I'd like to pray. In, in closing, All right, so is this the mic, or am I supposed to switch something here, or is this, this one's working? Why have you turned your face away from all my groaning? Cried by day and through the night. You have not answered though I've called upon your name. You sit enthroned upon the praises of your people. Our Father has trusted you and you. Those who delighted in you saw your power to rescue. By him I crushed beneath your wrath and put to shame. Oh, the hope and the horror of the cross. Eternal gain flowing from suffering and loss. Rich but big 
Father, I pray that you, the God of hope, would fill us with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could abound in hope. I pray that those who have been influenced and touched and marred by injustice, by abortion, find that you are rich in mercy. They would not be over by the lies of this world, but that would be found to be lifted up by your grace. Thank you for your tenderness and your compassion, Lord, that has made us great. We worship you now. 